I'm Amber Cook. Welcome to my podcast, The Dragonfly Connection. In this third season, I've taken the theme from season one, which was called The Holistic Healing Connection, and merged it with a theme from season two of The Dragonfly Connection. So now, join me every Wednesday for open, honest, inspiring, and healing conversations with people who face their own health and life challenges, worked through them, and now are on a mission to help you live a healthier, more fulfilling life. My hope is that at each episode leaves you more empowered and inspired, no matter where you are on your life and healing journey. This episode is sponsored by HealingWays.com. Find a holistic wellness professional and resources to help you on your healing journey. That's HealingWaze.com. And just one more thing before we get started. This podcast is a passion project. I do love doing it, but it's a one-woman production crew from start to finish, a lot of work, and I don't make any money doing it. So if you like what you hear and you want to keep hearing it, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with your friends. And if you'd like to go a step further, check out my Patreon page. The link is at the bottom of the show notes, or you can search for the Dragonfly Connection on patreon.com. By becoming a patron, you get one-on-one access to an online community, access to me and some of my show guests, and an online self-improvement book club, and more. Thank you so much for all of your support. I really appreciate it, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Listening became my modality. That's one of my favorite quotes from my guest today, Daniel Bruce Levin. The other is posted on my Instagram page. Daniel's a visionary activist, speaker, and a storyteller, a good storyteller, and now one of my favorite people. Daniel has a very interesting life story with many twists and turns, but the one that stands out the most may have been when he walked away from an opportunity to run a billion dollar business. Billion! Instead, he chose to hitchhike around the world to find happiness and inner peace. In his travels, he found that and more. He studied in a seminary for five years, but then left one day before becoming a rabbi. Then, when he came back to the States, he joined a yoga community, which led him to his life as a monk in a monastery for 10 years. And those are just two examples. It seems this guy has lived 100 lives already. He was once the director of business development at Hay House, bringing them from $3 million a year in sales to $100 million a year in revenue. Now, his focus is helping others to learn how to see what they can't see. He is the author of The Mosaic, a life-changing fable that invites people to listen to those others do not hear and to see the situations in their life differently. To purchase a copy of The Mosaic, follow the link in the show notes. Admittedly, I haven't read it yet, but I do have a copy sitting right here. I'm hoping it brings me as much joy and inspiration as my conversation with him did. Once I'm done reading, I'll definitely share my take with you. Daniel is truly a rare gem in this crazy world. I can feel the love he has for his fellow human, even those he's never met. His storytelling is entertaining and inspiring, and I really do hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. I highly recommend connecting with him on social media. All the links are in the show notes, along with a live link to his website, danielbrucelevin.com. Oh my gosh. So you are human. Okay. That's good to know. <laughs> oh my gosh. So human. I, car- I carry around this big belly to show, to make sure that people understand that I'm human because <laughs> I want the first sight to be this obese man. That's going to change. That's all changing. But I, I've carried that for a lot of years Yeah. because I want people to say, Oh, hold it. You know, look at him, this obese guy. He thinks he has something to say. Yeah. <laughs> It's a way to show like, yes, here I am. I'm human. 
I have str- the same struggles that many of us have in this form and absolutely here I absolutely. am well that's that's actually that was going to be one of my questions I asked but we just got that right out out of the way right now oh no <laughs> I messed up already like yeah <laughs> I think we're gonna have so much fun you already have me just laughing like crazy I have so many questions to ask you and do me a favor don't don't be afraid to interrupt me because sometimes I'm a storyteller Mm-hmm. So sometimes I talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. <laughs> and it's interesting enough that people want to listen, but just say, whoa, whoa, let's I got another question for you. Shut up. <laughs> I will try to keep the time for both of us. Please. Most of yeah. my life, I, I disregarded this human need. They tell the story of a man who builds a house and he gets too busy to finish painting the final corner of the room. So it's just like a little triangle on top from the roof, you know, from the top of the room and the two sides mm-hmm. and it's, and it's unpainted. And he thinks, I'm going to get to that. I got to finish that. And the next day he hears that there's going to be a, 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 a rocking ball that's going to come and knock down his house. And he has a question, you know, I promised myself I would finish that painting mm-hmm. of the house. Should I do it? Or it's going to get knocked down tomorrow. Why would I, why would I fix it now? And the question is, what would you do? I'd still finish it. <laughs> you would. You, you and my wife are the same. I, I would say, like, I don't know what my language is. I'm going to be generous. I would say, screw it. You know, like, it's going to get knocked down anyway. What the heck's going to happen? And because I had that point of view, that's the way I've lived and treated my body. Uh-huh. My body is going to be taken anyway. It's never going to come with me. Why do I need to make it this pristine temple and all that? It's pretty words, but it doesn't mean anything. I mean, I'm, I would rather invest my time and energy in what's going to come with me when I go wherever I'm going to. Yeah. And that was all well and good until I was invited to see monks making mandalas out of sand. And they spent about eight months grinding the sand and putting it in line to make these absolutely exquisite mandalas. And over the course of the eight months, I would go and visit them and I would watch how it would grow. And finally, on the, on the day that it was done, they invited us and there was a huge celebration. And then their teacher came and he took a little brush and he went. <sighs> just wiped it away. And he just wiped the whole thing away. And I went, why? Eight months of work, look what they did. And I went up to him and I said, how can you do that? I've watched this and, you know, it's finally, it, it, he said, because nothing in this world is permanent. And yeah. so if they were to finish that, knowing that it was going to be destroyed, then I have to, re- I had to really look at what I would do with my house and my temple. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's time for me to start to take care of my temple, which is, you know, 66 years old is probably a good time to start. <laughs> Anytime's a good time to start, but yeah, you definitely have an energy about you though. Still like there's a light that's yeah. shining up through you. So I have a lot of questions for you. I have been following you on Instagram and My condolences. I, <laughs> <laughs> I love what you post. Do you, do you post all that or do you have somebody that helps you? Oh no, no, I, I'm too, I'm too egocentric to have let anybody post stuff for me. I, <laughs> I love the quotes that you shared. It seems like most of them are from your book. Is that correct? Yes. 
a lot of them are from the book or from where the book came from. Mm-hmm. And you talk a lot about, you know, just loving each other and connection and lis- listening instead of speaking, but we're going to, we're going to let you, you're going to do a lot of speaking and I will cut you off when I need to. <laughs> and I did listen to the excerpt from your book that you read on Amazon. And so I'm really honored to have you here with me today. I'm excited to chat with you. I want to get to know more about you. Okay. Where are you yeah. right now? I am in, we just moved two weeks, three weeks ago from two blocks away from the ocean in North County of San Diego Mm. to now the foothills of the desert. And I'm sitting here now looking out at my office at these mountains that surround me with crystal blue skies. And and I'm used to being in in by the water. Mm-hmm. And in the water at this time of day, it's always sort of overcast. And it's, you know, it's either May, gray, June, gloom, September, for grammar or whatever it is. Every month has a different, but <laughs> it's so nice to see. And the town that we were we were in, I feel like I grew up in it because I've been there 20 years. It was went from a quiet little beach town to a really noisy area. People mm-hmm. were moving in from other areas and fixing up houses. And so there was construction going on all the time, both sides. They widened the, the Pacific Coast Highway. They widened it there to make it. And then all of a sudden, what happened is lately, for the last three, four years, there have been helicopters patrolling the beach just to make sure illegal aliens aren't coming in. So every 10 minutes, you're hearing... Uh-huh. And so north, south, east, west, there's noise. We're in the desert here. It's silent. Mm, nice. It is so beautifully silent. Oh, that's nice. So what, yeah, what led you to move there? Was that part of the reason? I have a developmentally delayed daughter. And so we bought the house for her and put it in a trust. Mm. And then the trust needed liquidity. So we had to move out of the house because that house got to be worth a lot of money. And so we were able to buy a a house similar value to what Mm -hmm. we bought that house for in a place that less people want to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was not looking forward to it, to be honest. I'm sure I love, love it. the ocean. I love yeah. the ocean, but I have to tell you, thank God they have a saying: "Men plans and God laughs," because this is one of the best things we've we've done. Oh, it's, that's awesome! It feels so right to be here right now. Oh, nice! It sounds magical. I know that you've talked about. You said that you've been all over the world. Sounds like you're probably going to want to be in this place for a while, but. If you had to pick one of the spots that you've been to in your whole life, what's one place yeah. you'd just want to stay? Is it this? Or um, pro- we probably won't stay here for the rest of my life unless okay. my life gets unless my life cuts off before I think it will, but it, which is very possible. There are so many places. I remember being on the Isle of Corfu in Greece, off of Greece, and driving a little moped these women with babushkis on and and aprons suddenly came running to where my moped, to me with my moped. And I wondered what in the heck, these are like older women, I'm a young guy. Like like, what's what's happening? I don't speak Greek, I don't know what they're doing. They said, come here, come here. And they put their babushkas down as like a tablecloth and their babushkas were full of olives. And then others came with bread and wine and we sat not understanding a word each other said, but just laughing and holding each other and sort of being with each other. Um, one of the most beautiful moments I can ever remember. Yeah. I, I remember sitting on a street corner in, in Paris, France, 
and I suck as an artist. I'm not a good artist. I, I literally suck. Um, but I didn't want to take a camera with me because I didn't want the responsibility of traveling with uh, and protecting a, something that could get stolen. Yeah. So I took some charcoal pencils and a pad and I'm sitting on the street corner in Paris, France, drawing. And I'm telling you, it is not anything that you would ever like look at. You're not going to post it on Instagram? No. Suddenly <laughs> there's a group of people that are around there, me, and suddenly they're coming with food and cheese and bread and wine and olives and, and dried fruits and re real fruits. And we're sitting on the street corner and we're having like this picnic and everybody's watching me. I think they thought I was an artist trying to make a living and I never would because the art was so bad. So they just came and used it as a, as a reason to celebrate together. And I remember being in India and watching a woman walk. She was a baby. Her, her outfit showed that she had the dress of a baker. Mm -hmm. But her gait, the way she walked, the way her back was erect, the way she looked up to the world, it had the gait of nobility. Mm. And I just wanted to be with her. I would have done anything to just be able to walk with her and be with her for many, 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 many months and years. But she got lost in the crowd before I could find her. Wow. You are great at painting a picture of, of the things that you've witnessed and you really do pay attention. Yes. And in that, well, I think it helps you soak in those memories. You don't have to be taking a picture of it. You have that picture in your head because you've been paying attention. You're listening, you're watching. Yeah. I thought that I would have to draw it and I was petrified that how, how will I ever draw this because I can't uh -huh. draw. But, but life draws itself upon your soul if you allow it to. And I don't need mm. to look at a picture of what I saw because I am the picture of what I saw. Ah, lovely. So it sounds to me then you're not going to pick one place that you'd want to be in. You want to keep traveling. Yeah. I, okay. When I finished the mosaic, mm -hmm. what the book told me was to get out on the road and go and sit on street corners and in boardrooms and in hospitals and prison and schools mm -hmm. and in business and in corporate and to sit and just listen to people. Yeah. And I had the trip all planned. I had 45 places in America who said to me, come and we'll get places for you to speak. We'll stay with us. We'll take care of you. And 45 days before I was going to go on the journey, Mr. COVID came to town. <laughs> oh, the great pause. All right. Yes. <laughs> and okay. so I, I paused, but yeah. there's somewhere along the line that's still in the, in, I want to die on the road. Mm. I mean, I love the beauty and the and, and of having a home base. Yeah, but I, I my life is not sitting behind four walls. Nice. One of the things I noticed in, in in India was we drive to work in a box. We work in a box. We live in a box. We hide our emotions in a box. Yeah. In India, everything is on the street. Yeah. They make, they make love on the street. They eat on the street. They defecate on the street. They die on the street. They yell at each other on the street. There's something so rich in a way about not having these boundaries and borders and things that protect us and keep us isolated. Those are the things that keep us kind of separated, which we'll talk yeah. about a little bit more um, in a few minutes. But yeah, because when you're doing the good, the bad, the ugly <laughs> um, yeah. out in the open, you see right there that, that we have so much in common. 
Yeah. You know, we all have yeah. the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, <laughs> but when you can hide it, that, you know, that breeds all kinds of stuff. It breeds the discord, the division, the shame. When it's all out in the open, there's less yeah. opportunity for those things to really sink in. I don't think we're really all that good at hiding it, but we believe we are. We so believe we are. We play the game of each other to let each other think we don't see the, the stuff. But we all know from looking on social media mm-hmm. that people can't be that happy. Right. All the time. Right. right. Because we only post what we want to post. We only yep. show what we, the part of us we want to show. Yeah. But why wouldn't we show the part of us that nobody wants to see? That's a good question. It's a question I want to ask everybody. Because when when you love me for those parts, you love me. <laughs> That's true. When you love me for the other parts, I don't know if you love me or not. You just love who you think I am. Right. Exactly. So <laughs> I wanna I wanna read what you wrote. I'm quoting you, um, and then I Uh-oh. have some questions. I know. <laughs> I know. Okay. So you said, I have lived a million thousand lives this lifetime, and I have talked to over a million people, always with the thought of what brings people together, just like we were talking about. In a world where people find lots of things that separate us, I look for what holds us together. In listening to them, I found three things that virtually everyone I spoke to wanted. So obviously, what are those three things? That's what I'm curious about. (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's easy. I thought I was going to go, oh my God, what did I say? <laughs> um, everyone in one way or another said one of these three things. They wanted to be loved and accepted. They wanted to be listened to and heard. And they wanted to be seen and acknowledged. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that those were three of the easiest things to give to another human being, it's way easier to love somebody than to hate them. Mm-hmm. It's way easier to listen to them than to make pretend you don't hear them. And it's way easier to see somebody that's right in front of you than to make pretend you don't. Yeah. Then I realized, wow, I can even I can do that. Like I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I can do those three things. Those are simple. And what happened for me when I ended up doing those, I had no idea what would what this the result would have. People felt really safe. Mm-hmm. They felt like they weren't going to get attacked. They felt yeah. like they could say anything to me. I might not agree with them, but they could say anything and I would acknowledge them and see them and hear them and listen to them. And because of that, they brought down their walls. Yeah. And when they brought down their walls, I guess I brought down mine too. Yeah. And suddenly we had into me see intimacy. They were able to see into me and I was able to see into them. Yeah. And suddenly when we had intimacy together, we were able to create things that we never could have imagined we would be able to create together because Mm -hmm. the way they looked at exactly the same thing I looked at was slightly different than the way I looked at it, or maybe vastly different. And when I was able to say to them with all curiosity, wow, how is it possible? You're looking at exactly the same friggin' thing that I'm looking at and you see it the way you see it. Not like, please share that with me. I want to know how you see the world. And in seeing the way they saw it, So often a little piece of what made my world an impossible reality to do became the piece that I was missing to make impossible possible. And suddenly we were able to create possibilities together because we were together looking at another at the same thing with lots of different perspectives. People got business deals, friendships developed, marriages happened, money started to come, new things happened. Mm -hmm. They were never possible before because we were living in this silo of this is the way it is. Oh, I love that. 
I think this way of thinking, you know, has been a lifetime journey of yours <laughs> and your own healing and learning and, and growth of your own to help other people on their growth. So I'm, fa- I'm really fascinated. So I know where you're at now you're in California yeah. <laughs> and you're getting ready to go on vacation and you, you know, you're, you're living in this, this human skin. I'm really fascinated as I should be. I think anyone that knows just the cliff notes of your life. I'm very fascinated by your journey so far, uh, leaving a financially lucrative career. We'll just put that in quotes, um, hitchhiking around the world, which you shared some of that studying to become a rabbi and then living like a monk. So can you kind of share the abbreviated version of how those parts fit together? Yeah. Um, You know, I didn't have a life that most people had. You know, when you're living the, for me, I, when I was living the life that I was living, I thought everybody lived that way. It was, it was only a little while later that I really told it. No, that isn't the way everybody's lived. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, there's something different to what happened. What would, what is the thing that made my life that different? And I think it really happened when I lost my dad at the age of 13. Mm-hmm. My dad was my hero. We would walk down the on the boardwalk in Atlantic City, and I would hold his ring finger, and I was a three-foot version of a six-foot version. <laughs> and people would stop their carts to take pictures of us, or they would stop their bikes and they would look and they would look at us and point and laugh. And I said, "Dad, are you famous or something? Like, what the heck's going on? Why is everybody taking pictures of you?" He said, "No, no, I'm nobody, Danny. But I don't think anybody's ever seen a three-foot version of a six-foot version that is exactly the same." You, we waddle the same. We make the same gestures. Our faces look the same. We feel that we, we move in the same way. As beautiful as that was, and I now have a daughter who's developmentally delayed, and I say the same thing to her. Alisa, you and daddy are the same. And I put our finger, my fingers together like that, say we're the same. Mm-hmm. But I just had a healing with someone who said to me, I understand how much you honor and respect your dad, but you and your dad are not the same. You and your daughter are not the same. You're each unique and different. And your dad had terrible financial problems. Mm-hmm. And I've watched you in just the conversation you've had with me, show me how you've walked away from millions and billions of dollars numerous times because you wanted to be the same as your dad. You're not the same as your dad. You have amazingly good financial. You can do anything you want. He could not. You're vital and alive and, and, and always pushing the envelope. He was scared to do those things. Mm-hmm. So the more you think that you're the same, you push away everything that was not him, even though it is you. And it's time for that to change right now. So here's this romantic notion of a little boy holding the ring finger of his dad, walking along the beach and everybody's saying, wow, you're the same, you're the same, you're the same. I am the same. I'm my dad. I am not my dad. All of a sudden, the wrecking ball comes just like the house we talked Mm -hmm. about in the beginning. And it's not that. And I'm watching now as my life changes because my belief system around what I can now have doesn't have to be harnessed by what my dad was. Mm-hmm. I can love and adore my dad still. I just don't have to make the same mistakes. Yes, exactly. And you can share characteristics of him, but you're not, you're not him exactly what, what that person said to you. When you lost your dad and you felt so connected to him, is that kind of the catalyst to... That made me different. All, all my friends had their parents. And then my mom died two mm-hmm. years later. Oh, my the God. The same exact day. She died the same day, the same time, two years later. Is that in your book? Yeah. Mo, Mo tells, he asks, well, how, 
why didn't his parents pass away? Okay. And he goes to all the people and he asks why his parents passed away. And they said to him. So that really happened. Yeah, go ahead. The book is sort of a fabled version of my life. Okay. So what did people say to Mo when he asked? um, They told me that they were in a place called heaven. Mm. And so what I wanted was to find that place called heaven. Mm -hmm. What I wanted really was that my mom and dad, I don't, I don't, I've talked to so many people who have grown up in really lousy environments. I had a lot of other problems, but the environment that I grew up in was absolutely useful to me. Maybe they passed away too young for me. I was too young for it to get bad, but I just remember that we were like, we were like just this beautiful love. We didn't have much money, but what we had was the love of a family that just did everything for one another. Mm -hmm. And my dad got us everything we wanted. He crewed a mountain full of debt. Uh, in doing it but he just wanted us to have all the things that other people wanted Uh when they passed I said what happened to that unconditional love where does that go now Mm -hmm. like how will I ever feel that again that's what I want and I looked out into the world and I didn't see it and when I went to live with my mother's sister and her husband Mm -hmm. her husband was a household name around the world and he looked at me and thought wow here's you could be the son I never had and he primed me to take over his company. But what I found in his conversation and the things that he was teaching me was that he couldn't trust that people liked him for him. They liked him because of how much money he had. Yeah. So imagine a kid who was looking for unconditional love, being told now, watch out, all people are going to want is your money. You can imagine how well that sat Yeah. on an easy decision. Like, I'm telling you, take 100 people and tell them you're going to train them and not let them fail to take over a billion dollar corporation, 150 people would say yes. Mm-hmm. But for me in that moment in time, coming from the place that I was coming from, I didn't want anything to do with that. I just wanted to know how do I find love again like I had. Oh, so uh, one of my listeners actually, at, I have them uh, give questions for my guests and um it's uh, from the thriving empath. And she asked, how old were you when you started your spiritual journey? And <laughs> how did it shape your life? So yeah, would you say then that this is when the spiritual journey began as a, as a child, as a teen? Yes, actually, I think it actually started before then. Okay. I remember, I remember bringing my best friend home to meet my mom because I was playing with my best friend all the time. And my mom mm-hmm. said, well, don't you think it's time for me to meet him? I said, of course, I'll bring him back after school. I'll bring him back. And I came back home with my best friend. And I said, mom, I want you to meet my best friend. And she looked at me and she looked around. She looked looked around and looked around. And she said, Danny, where is he? I said, mom, he's standing right next to me. Can't you see him? She said, Danny, don't tell anybody about this. There's nobody there. They're going to think you're crazy. So I had a little imaginary friend. Yeah that was my best friend that I spent all my time with that nobody could see but what, I sure saw him right what was it what's your best does you, is your best friend still with you yes but okay. he's ended up taking him inside mm-hmm. I call him the little man in my head now how old were you when you brought six. six okay and so your mom basically told you to shove your friend in a little box and yeah, <laughs> don't tell said, anybody <laughs> My dad, I don't know how my dad and mom had such a beautiful relationship, but they somehow managed to coexist because my dad was, don't let anybody tell you what to do. You do what you do and you live your life the way you want to live your Mm -hmm. life. 
And my mom was, whoa, you can't say that. People are going to think you're crazy. You know, like learn to conform a little bit then. You're like, get, get, get into some of the boxes. You're out. Every box you're on the edges of the box and you're outside of them. Like, uh, let's get you inside some of those boxes. It'll make your life a lot easier. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty fascinating, though, is for just a little bit I know about you already. It, it, you definitely got both the characteristics of your parents and your beliefs. And, you know, you can, quote unquote, fit into the world. But yeah. you also have these things about you that you really, you know, you deeply fit into the spiritual world as well and as we all do, yeah. but you're very plugged in. So, yeah. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Yeah, you're welcome. That's, I mean, that's just what I can see about you already. <laughs> and it, it makes sense too, knowing just a little bit about your journey, you were in the corporate world and then you hitchhiked the world and you were studying to become a rabbi. So I want to know a little bit. Yeah. As I was hitchhiking around the world, I was headed to India. Uh-huh. We ended up in Israel. I was traveling with these two girls. They said, look, Danny, we're getting cold. Let's go to Israel and go to a kibbutz. And we went to a kibbutz and worked on a kibbutz. And I loved the kibbutz because it was everything about what I believed. People working together to make something happen. Beautiful. You know, everybody had a little bit, but we all had a lot. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't spirit there. And so I said, I got to leave. I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And I'm going to sit. It was Yom Kippur. It was the Day of Atonement for the Jewish mm-hmm. people. So I decided what better thing to do than sit at the Western Wall, the wall that was the retaining wall for the temple of the great temple of the Jews. Mm-hmm. And I sat at the wall all day in the heat, fasting. And I thought, okay, good job. Now what do I do? And five minutes later, these people, these, these two guys tapped me on the shoulder. And they said, we noticed you've been sitting here. What are you doing to break your fast? And I said, I don't have any plans. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. They said, why don't you come with us? We're going. And I said, well, where, where, what are you doing? They said, we're in a yeshiva. We're in a, we're in a seminary. And we're going to break the fast together. It might be interesting for you to see it. I said, yeah, why not? So I went with them to the seminary. And it turned out where their seminary was, was close to where I had read about in a book that I was given about a holy man who was up all night and like people to visit him between two and six in the morning. So now there were two days before I was going to go, I was going to fly to Turkey to go overland to India, hitchhiking. So I thought, why don't I go see this rabbi? The first day he wasn't there. So to make a long story a little bit shorter, mm-hmm. I'm going to cut out the first day. Okay. I got there the sec- on the second day. The night before I was going to go to, I had to take a plane to go to Turkey. And I walked in to see him. And have you ever had your arm go pins and needles? Have you ever had your... Like you couldn't lift it up. You just oh, you yeah. have no control over mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Has that ever happened to you? Yes, it has. <laughs> My whole body was like that as I was standing at the doorway to see him. And it was as if there was this force field that was up. And I was trying to get to see him and trying to get to see him and trying to get to see him. And I pushed and pushed and pushed. And there was not, it was like a horse in a starting gate for a race. I couldn't go anywhere. And finally, he looked at me and said, um, won't you come and sit down? And I thought, that's interesting. I've been trying to sit down this whole time. So I lunged for the chair. And he looked at me like, yeah, that's a little strange. Why did you, you know, why didn't you just walk over and sit down? But then he started. And so I I thought this guy knew me better than any person that had ever known me in my whole life. Computers weren't around then. But I felt like he completely downloaded my system Mm. into his being. And so he started asking me questions. He said, how long have you been in Israel? What's your name? Where did you go? What have you seen? 
And I looked at him and I said, I'm a 19 year old little punky kid. And here's the wisest man I've ever seen in my life. And I looked at him and I said, I'm sorry, with all due respect, you know me better than anybody in the whole world. Why are you asking me such stupid questions? I'm, I'm going tomorrow on a trip to India that I would really like your blessing on. He said, get the heck out of my office. I said, I'm sorry, I don't think my Hebrew must not be that good because I, I couldn't, that couldn't have been what you said to me. He said, out's your English, get the hell out of here. I said, no, I'm, there's no way I'm leaving after the experience I just had. There's not a chance in hell I'm leaving. He said, if you don't leave, I'm going to leave. And he got up with the six guys that he was with and walked out the room. Wow. I stayed there for three hours. Just sitting in that room? Just sitting in that room waiting for him to come back. Finally, I went out and I got somebody. And I said, I'm here to see the rabbi. They said, oh my God, we're so sorry. We didn't know, we didn't know you were here. They brought him back in. He looked at me, he said, you, and he turned around and walked away. I said, stop. And he looked at me like, who, who is this little whippersnapper telling uh-huh. me to stop, right? Like, yeah, I already threw you out. What do you want? I said, you can't give me the experience you gave me and then throw me out of the office without telling me what, mm-hmm. what is it you're trying to tell me? I don't understand. He said, Danny, you say you've seen Israel, north, south, east, and west. You say you've seen every place that exists. You've gone to all the holy sites. You've gone to all the places. You've seen everything. I don't believe you've seen anything because you don't know how to see. If you knew how to see, you would never leave. So go to India. You'll go north, south, east, and west. You'll go all the holy places. You'll see all the people. You don't know how to see. If you want to know how to see, come back tomorrow. I said, well, that's sort of a long story. And in Four Part Harmony, I started to tell them that tomorrow I was going to get in the Sherut and go on a plane to Turkey and go and, I, and he said, yeah, that's why I threw you out, because I know you don't have the flexibility. Wow. So what did you do with that? So I walked and I said, I hate when somebody tells me what I can't do, even if they're right. <laughs> yes, I can relate to that for sure. <laughs> so I walked back to the place I was staying. I got in the Sherud. I went to Tel Aviv. I'm standing in line. El Al, I'm flying El Al big security in those times. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody is inspected. I look like, you know, a modern day terrorist with hair down to my waist and, you know, a beard and a leather jacket on. And this woman from the counter looks at me and goes, you! And I, I look around like, who the heck is she talking to? And she says, you. And I thought, oh, she's part of my language. Oh, shit. Yeah. You know, this is not going to be a good day. I said, what did I do? What's wrong? There's, there's 100 people in front of me. Why are you bringing me up to the counter? She said, just stay here and shut up. I want to get my supervisor. She got her supervisor. They both came out. She said, let me see your ticket. I showed her my ticket. She said, yeah, just as I thought, it's non-refundable. I said, I could have told you that. I mean, she said, what are you doing here? Why are you here? I said, well, it's sort of a long story. I just met this rabbi. I was sort of thinking, well, maybe there's a chance, but I have a non-refundable ticket. I'm going to get on the plane. I'm going to go to Turkey and I'm going to go home. She said, no, you're not. She said, last night I had a dream of that, of an old man with a white beard. And he told me, if I saw you, do not let me leave Israel. So I have that pins and needles feeling all over the top of yes. my body right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh too. my God. Okay. And I said, so what are you going to do? I mean, and she said, all I know is I never want to see that man again. He scares me. I can't refund your money, but I can. I'm going to give you $400 of my own money to just get you out of here and put you back and go back. You better go back and see him. I said, I promise that's what I'll do. Wow. So I walked back and he said, oh my God, you came back? I said, yeah, you sort of tilted the, tilted the game a little bit, didn't you? <laughs> and he said, you're here, you're going to be a Jew. I said, let's not get carried away. I'm here to see what the next step is. You know, let's take it slow, one step at a time. 
six weeks after I saw him, he sent me to another place to get to learn. Mm-hmm. And he said, in six months, you're coming to learn with me. I'll, I'll, you'll be my, you'll be right by my side. Six weeks later, from the moment he said that, he he was dead, and oh. I was now in this place that he sent me to. And yeah. when I walked into the place he sent me to, I said, "A lot's going on today. What can you just like summarize for me what goes on? Because it looks like I'm in a cemetery. Mm-hmm. What goes on here?" And the rabbi was singing around the table. He was, you know, just singing and moving and praying and dancing. I don't know what the hell he was doing. But he came up to me and with his left arm, he just called back and he hit me as hard as he could over the heart. I mean, he almost knocked me. I mean, he knocked me back. Yeah. And I went, whoa, what Like, what you do? What are you doing? And he said, you know why God gave us two arms? And I said, if you're going to hit me with the other one, please don't. <laughs> he, said, he said, no, God gives us two arms because one's to knock you into shape and the other's to hold you and hug you and say, we're doing it for your own good. He said, we're going to open up your heart so that everybody you meet feels a piece of it. Nice. And we're going to stretch it and stretch it and stretch it. And we're going to annihilate it until it's just open. And so did that happen? Yes. Okay. You but can you... tell me if it happened or not. Because I if think you it did. Me... But you didn't become a rabbi. One day before I was going to be ordained, I said, I can't be ordained in this system because I don't believe in it. Okay. So I left. And then after you left, you took some time living like a monk. I, I lived, I didn't live like a monk. I lived as a monk. I was you a were monk in a monastery. Monk. Okay. When I left, I went and I, I came to San Francisco and uh-huh. I started, I started a bookstore and a cafe. Oh, okay. And then I came back. And then while I was there, I thought, you know, same thing, no spirituality. I want to have spirituality. Mm-hmm. So I found a yoga community that my brother was a part of. And I joined and I became a monk in, the, in their monastery. And I spent 10 years as a monk in the monastery. 10 years in the monk. All right. So before I talk with somebody the night before, I always talk to my family about the guest, you know, so last night yes. at oh dinner, my God. Poor thing. <laughs> no, they're super excited. So my husband and my 10 year old. Okay. So I just going to add in a question that my 10 year old had, and that was, Fabulous. were you a silent monk? <laughs> That's what she said. He didn't talk for 10 years. I said, I don't think he took a vow of silence. So I just want to clarify that. Yeah, no, I, you can see from my rambling on that I would never make it 10 years <laughs> as a silent monk. No, but we spent a lot of time in silence, but mm-hmm. we didn't take a vow of silence. But there were many days where I spent 18 hours a day in prayer, wow. just sitting in meditation and quiet and stillness and just, and some days where I spent three minutes in prayer, you know, it wasn't like, yeah, but it was just, this beautiful life of what would happen if God were the first thing in our life rather than the last thing in our life. Mm -hmm. And how would I develop that relationship with my beloved so that she was actually my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. She was my lover. She was the one that I came home and told everything to. Mm -hmm. She was the one that I felt intimacy with. And I remember just the beautiful story, if I can bore you with another story. It's not boring at all. So share the story. So I remember one day I was sitting and I had been sitting meditating for a long time. And I noticed I was falling asleep in my chair. And I thought, you fool. Like, if you're tired, go to sleep. You don't get any credit for meditating to sleep. Like, like, what do you think? You're being this great saint and you're sitting for all these hours and you're sleeping here. Go to bed. And I got up with my tail between my legs a little bit, thinking, you know, uh, chastising myself and thinking what, how, how ashamed of myself I was that I would mm-hmm. sleep in my meditation room. 
And as I was getting up, I heard the voice of my beloved say to me, why are you ashamed? I love that you fall asleep in my arms and that the first thing that happens when you wake up is that you see me. I love that. Come and sleep with me more. Don't be ashamed. Wherever you are, I am. Wherever I am, you are. And it changed my whole perspective mm-hmm. around the mind and how it wants to chastise myself all the time for things that I do wrong. Yeah. When the beloved looks at it, then it's completely different. I agree. It's true. So you learned a lot in that time as a monk. Obviously, that just deepened your spirituality, I'm sure. I mean, meditating for hours at a time, I've never done that. It's amazing. And so it got you to the point you are now where you're using what all the things you've learned and you've experienced in your life to helping other people. Before we run out of time, I really do want to talk about your book a little bit because I'm, I'm more than curious. When I asked you in your application about your own healing journey, you listed writing your book as a healing modality for yourself. And you Mm. described it, you described the mosaic, your book as a life-changing fable. So obviously it's not light and fluffy work. It's probably pretty deep. So I want you to talk about your book a little bit. How did writing it become part of your healing journey and how is it life-changing for other people? First of all, thank you. Beautiful question. Thank you so very much. Yeah. As I got older, which I am, you can see, <laughs> I looked back and I thought, I haven't lived a life like everybody else. Mm-hmm. How could I tell that story in a way that might be interesting to people? Because people seem interested in it, but there's so many people who pontificate about who they are and what they do. Yeah. I thought I'd rather just write it as a fable. Because when people hear a story, rather than, when people hear a self-help book, they think that the person that's giving it is smart. <laughs> right. There's a helper and people that need to be helped. There's a uh-huh. leader and people need to be led. Mm-hmm. A fame, a story is a story. And we sit around the campfire and we tell stories. That's the way we've grown up. And everybody has a story. Yeah. And so my story isn't any different than anybody else's. But I thought, why don't I try and take the time to do it? Mm-hmm. And so I sat down and I started to write about some of the people that I met along my way. And I fabulized it. And every time I would write a chapter, I would go to save it and it would be gone the next morning. And I'm an old guy and I'm not like, I wasn't born up in the computer age, but I know how to save a file. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, I'm not like, that's like basic one-on-one. Right. <laughs> and so I would save it, gone. Save it, gone. Mm-hmm. I try and rewrite it. Eh, maybe it was better. Maybe it was worse. I saved it, gone. I went to my wife finally. I said, I don't know what the F I'm doing. Because like here I'm saving it and every morning I wake up and I think I'm, I want to reread it to see if it's any good. And it's gone. Nowhere. Not even found. Kaput, gone. Interesting. Yeah. And she said, okay, let me just try and save it for you. You know, I'll save it for you. She saved it and somehow it wasn't gone. Hmm. But, but then my computer crashed. I lost everything on my computer. But then everything was saved back except for the entire book that had been saved. It was lost. I, don't even I was not a happy camper. No. Not even, I mean, I was frustrated that this has taken three years to do. Oh my God. And then it got lost. Okay. And then it got lost. Oh. So I, I mentally created a Zoom call and called all these sons of guns together. And I said, like, what in the heck is going on? Why are you taking my book away from me? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? What's wrong? And one by one, they said to me, we just don't want to say what you're saying. I said, with all due respect, I created you. You're my characters. I should be able to put into your voice with the voice that I want to give you. Uh-huh. You're not real. You're like my own character, my creation. Mm-hmm. They said, no, as soon as you created this, we became real. 
and we don't like what you're saying for us to say. So we had to take it away from you all the time. I said, so what's the solution? They said, just write what we tell you to say. If you write what we tell you to say, your book will be done in 30 days. I didn't even think about it. I said, deal. Wow. I was so fed up with it. I, I'm just, just <laughs> I'll do anything. Okay. I'll do it. Like, <laughs> let me get this damn thing out of my system. Right. I was so frustrated. Oh, yeah. And I was talking to someone in the publishing world. And I said, can you believe that this happened? And he said to me, yes, actually, I, I can. Mm-hmm. That's what Charles Dickens used to do. Charles Dickens used to invite his characters for a cup of tea and he would sit with them and listen to them tell him stories and he would write the stories they told and I said oh god I thought I was some weirdo thank god you're saying this you know yeah like I'm already a weirdo I thought I was even more weird yeah (laughs) but when I actually listened to what they said I realized the book was more for me than for anybody else Mm -hmm. and because it was for me I was the biggest recipient in it other people would get things from it, which they certainly have. But even if nobody ever bought the book, it was written. It was written for me. Wow! Thank God, it's the me and you and everybody else go through the same thing. So it's written for, in a way that everybody enjoys it. Mm-hmm. But what I learned the most from that is how important it is to listen. Mm. Listening became my modality. I thought I was writing a book about mosaic and unity and everybody coming together and connecting and connecting pieces and all. Yeah. Yeah, it's part of it. Mm, okay. But what I but what I started to hear was in the book that was written for me, to me, by people through my hands, there were not only words that told an exquisite story, there were spaces between those words which occupied as much space on the page as the words. But nobody looks at the space to see what the space is telling. Mm-hmm. They overlook the space just to get those are what the words say. When I started to read what the spaces were saying, suddenly the words became the separation between the spaces. And there's a whole other book that's written in the spaces. Truly a mosaic. Truly a mosaic. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to read your book. And then I'll get back to you. Yes, (laughs) thank you. Okay, I have one last question for you because I I think that you'll be able to answer it pretty beautifully. I'm hoping, no pressure. Um, (laughs) This is from (laughs) (laughs) the Archetypal Cosmos. And she asks, in the midst of so much change in our culture, a true paradigm shift, how can we best navigate these shifting times, keep our footing, not lose our minds. And she would also like advice on how not to get sucked in to the drama of others who she say are running around like headless chicken. I can reread part of it if you need. (laughs) Well, let's go with what I think the first question was, was in, in these times, how do we not lose our peace of mind? Yes. When I think about an image, the image that comes to me is that of a bicycle wheel. In the center of the wheel is the hub. Mm-hmm. And there are these spokes that then go out to the rim of the wheel. And there's a tire on the rim of the wheel, right? Mm-hmm. I always thought that a bicycle wheel, those spokes that went out, pushed the rim out. So they went from the center, which was strong, and then pushed, put pressure on it to push the rim out to make the wheel not cave in. Mm-hmm. What I found out when I did some research was that's not what happens. Mm, okay. The spokes go and they hook into the, into the wheel and they actually 
pulled the wheel towards the center because the cent they don't push it out, they pull it because the strength is of where we are is in the center. Yeah. When we live life on the outside of that wheel, the faster we it goes, the more likely we are to get spun off. And we're type A people. So we want to go faster, faster, faster. That's the ride. Those are the most exciting rides at Disneyland, right? right. The ones that go fast. Uh-huh. We want our life to go fast. Yeah. And so we're in this constant battle of trying to hold on to the outside of the wheel. If we would come down to the center, that wheel turns very little. While the outside wheel is turning fast, the, the hub turns just gently. Mm-hmm. And we can hold on to the hub. We won't lose our center in the hub. Mm-hmm. We lose our center at the outside. One of the biggest sadnesses I have as I look around my life is I don't see a lot of people that know how to get to their center. Yeah. I don't see a lot of people who know who they are. Mm-hmm. They know who the outside of them looks like. We invest a lot of time and energy, just like that house that's missing that wall. Yeah. We, we invest a lot of time and energy in making sure our outside looks pretty. It's true. So how would you recommend someone connecting to that center? For me, clearly meditation. Mm-hmm. Try and slow down. Try and just continue. Or if you don't want to do meditation or you don't feel you can, Ramana Maharshi had a beautiful practice. He would look at everything in the world and he said, not this, I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this. Until he found that which he was, that he couldn't say I'm not. So just keep asking yourself, what's underneath what it is I think I see? One of the things the mosaic does is it says nothing is as it seems. So if you think you're seeing something, I would go and I would meet all these people, homeless guys, street workers, juice men. And I thought I had them pre-understandable. The moment I spent a few minutes with them and just listened to them tell me their stories, I saw a completely different person. Mm -hmm. Not because they changed, but because what I saw in them changed. Yeah. Our perception creates our reality. Yes. Learn how to see what you can't see. Learn how to spend more time in the spaces between the words than in the words. Mm-hmm. And learn how to just get to know this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful human being that's called you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye today? Just thank you for being such a beautiful person. Thank you. Oh, that's a great compliment. Thank you so much. We'll stay connected online. And of course, I will share all the ways other people can stay connected to you and connect to you. And and get a copy of the mosaic for themselves. So I appreciate you. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Love you. (laughs) I love you. Ciao.